Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Secret Birds HQ podcast. And this is podcast episode 34. And we are joined today by Miss Corinne Joachim Sanon Smith. And she is the great job, Joanne. I know, I'm so proud of myself. And yes, she, it pronounces like like it was me. Perfect. Thank, thank you, you for having me at the thank Secret you. Bird HQ podcast. <laughs> wonderful, my dear. Wonderful. And Corinne is the founder of Ascania Chocolate. She will say it in French. How do you say it in French, Corinne? Ascania Chocolate. I mean, Le Chocolatier Ascania or Ascania Chocolate in, in English. Yes, yes, that's perfect. <laughs> Yes, and Corinne is uh, is Haitian. She's from Haiti, and she's joining us today to discuss the topic of women entrepreneurs in Haiti. So, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, Joanne, and thank you again for having me on this Secret Bird HQ podcast. It's my pleasure to share my story with you and all the listeners of the podcast. Wonderful. So begin by telling us a little bit about Corinne. Who is Corinne? We know you're from Haiti. Tell us a little bit about your story and how you ended up where you are now. Indeed. So I'm from Haiti, but already as a teenager, I wanted to provide, to create positive change and lasting difference in my country. I wanted to get away from the aid narrative and showcase something positive from our country while I was creating jobs many jobs we needed. Back then, I didn't know as a teenager, 16 year old, I didn't know what I want industry I wanted to get into. But I still once decided to start getting the skill that I think will be necessary as an entrepreneur. So I first studied industrial engineering. This is in order to learn how to run a factory or a business. I also obtained an MBA from the Wharton School of Business. And this is to learn how to market, sell, raise money, manage human resources. I also gained experience, work experience. As an industrial engineer, I worked for L'Oreal USA. Um, as a management consultant, I worked for Barclays Bank or this, the government of Haiti. So mm-hmm. I feel like all these experience, um, and I consider them as little piece of my puzzle, the little knowledge and experience puzzle that I needed to get to an, entrepre- an entrepreneurial stage. Mm-hmm. So, and so when, like, let's say 15 years later, I had all this experience and all this knowledge, I kind of decided better what type of business I wanted to be. So I decided that I wanted to business, the business needed to transform a local crop, this being that 40% to almost 60% of the Asian population are small subsistence farmers. So by me buying this crop, that will create revenue for them. The second goal was that the business needed to create blue-collar jobs because a lot of Haitians are not formally educated, but they can work with their hands. So the business that I created also needed to find jobs for these people. And the last goal was for the business to be outside of Port-au-Prince. We usually call it the Republic of Port-au-Prince because everything happened in the capital. Mm-hmm. But I wanted the business to create opportunity outside of, of Port-au-Prince. So all these these three goals led to the creation of Ascania, the mm-hmm. first bean-to-ball chocolate company in Haiti. The that's first? Transforming a local crop. Yes, it was the first bean-to-ball chocolate company and the only award-winning one. Wonderful. We won the... Sustainability, sustainability Prize at the Northwest Chocolate Festival in Seattle for mm-hmm. our work from the tree to the bar, 
we won, were considered by Cadillac, the car company, as one of the top 25 entrepreneurial venture that is changing the world. Mm-hmm. We got that prize in 2015. Um, the Seattle one was in 2017. And we also for the quality of our crop, our beans were considered among the top 50 in the world. Wonderful. Wonderful. So you said, okay, so for our listeners, just so that they understand, you were born and raised in Haiti. You did not leave your country until you moved to the U.S. to study at the university level. Is that correct? Exactly. So I grew up in Haiti. Yes, yes. I grew up in Haiti and I was there until at 16. At 16, I went to college. Um, I was a pretty precocious kid, but yeah. I was also very aware of my surrounding in the sense that I was aware of the housekeeping, asking the housekeeper or the cook, asking for a little help for the tuition of their kids or with medical bills, etc. So I felt that people should be making enough money to um to support themselves fully so i decided as as at at a young age that i didn't want to be the charity person i wanted to create opportunity for um for others in my country so you paid attention to what was happening around you and you knew very early on that you wanted to affect change so tell us about what at one point did it hit you that okay it would be chocolate Tell us about that specific When did moment. it hit me? So I was um, food agnostic or industry agnostic at first until um, I came up with the fact that I wanted to transform a local crop. And now I started researching different crops. Um, I researched mango, lime, orange, vetiver. And when I got to, uh, like, let's say, a uh, uh, orange transformation like a juice plant when I got to a juice plant for instance I figured out I didn't have a million dollars to get the equipment but when I got to cocoa beans I realized that Haitian cocoa was among the top 50 in the world and that high-end chocolatier premium chocolatiers in France such as Bona and Valona was using the beans to do high-end gourmet chocolate bars so I decided why not do chocolate bars in Haiti with Haitian cocoa from the beans to the bar, totally manufactured in Haiti. So that's kind of when it hit me that the crop will be cocoa and I'll be transforming cocoa in chocolate bars. Definitely. And for people who don't know, Haiti is, is, a, is a big agricultural country, as many countries are in, in the Caribbean, right? So Yes, it is a big agricultural country mm-hmm. but at the same time cocoa grow in the tropics the mm-hmm. tropic is the bend between the 20 degree north and south of the equator mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. any country that is located in the tropical climate is a potential producer of cacao we yes. most of the time hear about trinidad cameroon ivory coast and ghana, also ghana. Southern, i think i think ghana, ghana yes mm-hmm. yes Ghana is one of the big producers but southern india Brazil, Vietnam, and Indonesia are also all cacao producers. Same mm-hmm. as Haiti, because of our soil, terroir, the perfect climate, climate, we have all the, all the ingredients to grow great cacao, and we do. 
fantastic. Do you ever, for example, every industry has got its associations and its networks. Have you ever been to some kind of global meeting where you get to meet producers from other chocolate growing nations? Yes. Like oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. I've Tell been to several. This, I've been to the Salon du Chocolat in Paris. This is the biggest chocolate fair in the world. We mm. had a booth. We had a booth um, for the Haitian and Dominican Republic, the uh, Hispaniola Island booth, where there's an opportunity to sell our bars, but also to meet other chocolatiers from Europe, but also from the Caribbean, from Africa that were there, chocolatier and chocolate makers. We went different in 2015 and in 2017 last year. We also went because we won the prize. Um, our cocoa beans were considered among the top 50 in the world. So we're one of the top 50 producers of cocoa beans. Because uh, in addition to having the chocolate factory, I have to say that we also vertically integrated and started a fermentation and drying center where we have a network of about 450 farmers from whom we directly buy the cocoa beans. Um, we go on their plant, on their farm. We select the bean, uh, the the pod. I would say, depending on the level of ripeness. So the pod is the way the cocoa food comes in, and the one we select, we we cut them, extract the beans, and put them in our fermentation box. And from there, we follow a fermentation protocol, and then we follow a, a, a drying protocol. So our beans from this process were considered among the top 15 in the world by the Kaka Excellence Award that is delivered at the Salon de Chocolat during the Salon de Chocolat. Wow, fantastic. Congratulations. That's such, that's such a big Thank achievement. You. That's a massive achievement. Thank you so very much. And Thank I think you. It, Thank you. it's very good. It's, it's great to see Haitians leading on the narrative of Haiti. Because I think far too many times in the media, we only see one side of Haiti. We only read about one aspect of Haiti. So it's for people yeah. who are not familiar with the country, it's very easy to have a very sort of limited view about the country. Um, but as we know, every country has good and bad, right? So um, it's exactly. really nice to hear about the successes of your business. And, and I think it's not just your business. I think it's the success, the success of Haiti and Haitian people, you know? So it, exactly. And yeah. I will say that often we have that aid narrative that, that narrative that the media portray Haiti, but also we are businesses like me um, and other young female entrepreneurs are helping change that narrative and show more and showcase the many beautiful things that Haiti produces and mm-hmm. the many beautiful um yeah, the many beautiful things that Haiti produces, whether it's castor oil, cocoa, chocolate, jewelry, handmade bags, or even education. Right. Um, we have Najin Paul from Teach for Haiti. This is a model. She follows a model similar to Teach for America, where mm-hmm. cohort of teachers are trained as impactful professionals to deliver quality education. Right. So she's done a great job. She was named among the top 30 under 30. And she went to Harvard for a master's. So she's a very accomplished Haitian American, Haitian woman who is now back in Haiti making a difference. That's wonderful. And that's a good segue to to jump into our topic about female entrepreneurs. So tell us a little bit about 
female entrepreneurship in Haiti, what is it like? I mean, obviously, female entrepreneurs are all around the world doing amazing things. But tell us specifically about the nuances in Haiti and what it's like for the women entrepreneurs there. Yeah, and I'm pleased to share with you, Joanne, that there's a growing and impactful group of young Haitian women mm -hmm. embracing that entrepreneurial calling. Um, some of these women are Haitian-American returnees, so they grew up in the U.S., in North America mostly, but are now hearing the call back to Haiti. Uh, one example is Regin Teodat. She was featured with me on NPR article recently. She was raised in Haiti. She received a law degree. In, uh, she was raised in the U.S., sorry. She mm -hmm. received a law degree in the U.S., but then came back to Quadebouquet, a suburb of Port-au-Prince, to launch Miabel Cocktail. It's a full line of cocktail and drinks made with Haitian ingredients, only Haitian ingredients, mm. and she also started a restaurant. She also wow. has a farm where she grew most of her ingredients, and she, she's, she also has um, association with farmers that bring her their own crops, which she buy directly from the farmers. Another example will be Ifka Montlouz. She also grew up in the U.S., was in higher education field in the U.S. She was working for University of Pennsylvania, among others. Mm -hmm. But she decided to transform Haitian pastel oil that we use for the hair, to grow hair. Mm -hmm. And now they embottle them and they are available online and in Whole Food. Wow. And I've also talked about Nadine Paul with Teach for Haiti. So these are three examples of young Haitian-American Haitian women returning that um, had their career and their life in the U.S. but decided to come back to Haiti and make a difference. There's also a lot of them who grew up in Haiti like me but went to further their study abroad and came back. Like we told about myself that I went to the University of Michigan and at Wharton School of Business and now I'm back with my business of Tanya. There's also Daphne Floyal who has a jewelry line, Visual Akai. It's like trans she transformed horn bull bone into jewels jewelry mm -hmm. um she studied in haiti i mean we're actually high school classmates we're in the same class mm -hmm. and she she studied in haiti and in dr the dominican republic and in france and now is having a jewelry line so mm -hmm. one thing in common with many of these young ladies is that we're in our early 30s and we don't only want to have a business that's profitable we're not in the ngo narrative at all but we want a business that is profitable, but it's but it's also making a difference. What we usually call social impact enterprise or double bottom enterprise. Mm -hmm. And in our, many of our businesses, we want to give opportunity to other women. So, often, most of us, a lot of us, majority of our employees are female because we want them to shine, to rise, and make money. We want our business or our business practices to be fair, equitable, and modern. So we make sure that. Um, we establish what we've learned abroad in terms of um, um, human resources, payment, um, access, uh, all this. And we create blue-collar jobs. So as I said, we're not an NGO. We're not into just char charity, but people work and get paid fairly for the jobs they do. And we are working to export and showcase the many beautiful products and gems that Haiti has, whether it's the castle oil bottle or the chocolate bars or the handmade handbag or the handmade jewelry. 
will make sure they can be these portraits are standard and can be sold both in Haiti and on the international market. Yes, and I think um, it's important that you highlight that you're part of a generation of women who are from Haiti, who've gone abroad, who've been educated abroad. You've had you had the opportunity to have you know stellar careers abroad, working in corporations or government or whatnot but you decided that you wanted to do something for your country and you didn't want exactly. to. And like many, like many women entrepreneurs, we don't want to be seen as running a nonprofit. We want to be running profitable businesses, but businesses that have social impact. Because I think so many of us are tired of the nonprofit NGO scene because we realize that it doesn't work. <laughs> and um, yeah, it doesn't. And I love to tell people is that big country like the US or Canada, very few people work in NGO. Most of these enterprises are run by businesses like L'Oreal, like Wyatt, like Verizon, I mean, by Barclays. So these are enterprises that are creating jobs. It's not the NGO that creates jobs or help the country become sustainable. Exactly. Yes, so can you hold on one minute? All right, guys, apologies. We had a little technical difficulty, but now we're back. So, yes, continue uh, telling us about the nonprofits and why they don't work. So, well, I wouldn't say that nonprofit doesn't work, but this mm -hmm. is not the vision of these many young women uh, in their 30s going back to Haiti. As mm -hmm. we said, they're more, we are more interested in double bottom enterprises, both profitable and making a difference in our communities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel I, I, I personally think nonprofits don't work. Reason being that I, I used to do a lot of consulting for nonprofits way back in when I lived in the in the US. So it was like 2004, 2003. And they always had the same issues. They never had enough funding. They were always applying for funding. There was always issues with money. There was always a lot of politics because they didn't have any money. And I realized, you know, there must be a better way to combine to combine making a profit and having an impact. And now here we are in 2017, 2018, and we've got the social enterprise and like you said, the social impact model. So we found a way to combine doing good with making profit. And I think it's a much better approach than what we had before. Indeed. And the other thing I like to say is that enterprises, usually any, develop, any developed country is not based on Nonprofit or NGO. Most people work for businesses like Barclays or L'Oreal or Wyatt or Merck. Very few people work or or are dependent on NGO or 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 aid enterprise. So I feel like country like Haiti or developing country, emerging country should also be built on enterprises, businesses, and Definitely. to um, provide opportunity to their, to their citizens via businesses that create profit. Yeah, and that's a very important point that you make because our community is geared towards 
early stage entrepreneurs from these developing economies and all of these women are building businesses from scratch and it's important that you say that because these women themselves recognize that we've got to be making a profit and there's nothing wrong with that i think for a long time many women believe that if i'm in a business and i'm making a huge profit then that's really bad i'm just making a lot of money but i'm not doing anything so they always felt like they needed to stay within that realm of the of the ngo but now they realize that you need to make a profit and then it's what you do with that profit you know if you're just spending it on frivolity and whatnot it's fine but if you're then reinvesting that in your business or you're investing it in your communities or what have you then then it's a good thing so that's a very important point that you've made yeah and also it's the, the important thing with being profitable is that you have money to reinvest because having a nice business with no cash flow doesn't help at all Exactly. And having a nice business where you don't have money to pay back your bills, at some point you're going to close. So it's not worth it. And what do you do with all these employees and all these people depending on you? So being able to run a business efficiently and um, profitably and with profit while dealing with many infra infrastructure limitation that we have in Haiti or in any emerging country, it's important. It's a challenge, but a challenge worth um, solving for. Right. Now let's talk about challenges. What are some of the challenges uh, faced by, now we know on the ground, the challenges are challenges, whether it's male or female, right? But what are some, are there any unique challenges that women entrepreneurs in Haiti face? So I would say that for women in Haiti, um, particularly, I would say for or for any entrepreneur, um, that the challenge are unfortunately the same. As for instance, um, anything that will benefit a female entrepreneur will benefit every citizen. If I take, for instance, the power in the town where we are, our chocolate factory is in Wanamet, a small town. In, on the border with the Dominican Republic in the northeast of Haiti, the power is very erratic, from the grid, is very erratic. Mm -hmm. But having regular power, so which means um, we, have to, um, we have to have a generator to, to produce, out, I mean, during production hours and also after production hours, which keep our production costs very high. So if we had a reliable grid power that will cost our production cost by a good 20%. But having a reliable power is not only beneficial to Ascania, it's beneficial to the 100 plus thousand people who live in Wanamint, it's beneficial to the public hospital, it's beneficial to the other businesses. So this is not a, this infrastructure issue, it's not only to for women entrepreneurs, but for any person who need any citizen who need power either for their personal use or for their business use similarly we have very bad road and i'm not sure if you've seen one of the video they've done where we call crossing five to six rivers to go by cacao yeah but it's like it takes us about four hours to do 50 miles to get to the farming community because once we leave the main road we get into the small road the rural area with no road where we have to do the rest by feet and then cross the rivers but if we had better infrastructure better road better bridges we could reach this community in 50 minutes or to an hour 
and we should be able to um, cut our transportation costs. But also, that will be advantageous to the farmers because they have more than cacao. They have other crops that they want to sell and get to market. So this is just having better roads will, roads will benefit not only us female entrepreneurs, but also the farmers. So I feel in Haiti, it's the need of mostly for better infrastructure, better power, better road, and better um, business legal, better legal infrastructure, uh, legal system that is enforceable, and that will benefit. That would benefit not only the woman entrepreneur, but also everyone, everyone else. But at the same time, what I'd like to say is that we are, although we're in a macho society in Haiti. We don't, I mean, female entrepreneurship is not thrown on. So it's well taken. It is sometimes taken as a hobby, maybe not taken as seriously as a business that uh, maybe another male person will do. But we are respected or we make ourselves respected. Interesting. Interesting that you say that because I think um, it's, that's something I think a lot of women everywhere can relate to this idea that, okay, we're not taken seriously because we are women and maybe, pe- maybe the men think, oh, this is just some kind of cute little business that she's running, etc., etc., etc. So it's. I mean, I will not say that sometimes um, as a woman, I have not been taken. L- less seriously yes i have been i have that example where we had to go negotiate the price of a transportation and i was with my head of production with the male and the owner of the truck told me little girl go sit in the back men are discussing so my goodness. obviously at this occasion i wasn't taken seriously but i wouldn't say this is the majority of the case this is more of an anecdotal story or more of an anecdote than what is the case most of the time most of the time I would say I'm taken seriously because I'm in business right 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 okay so what um words of advice do you have for women entrepreneurs like yourself who are building these businesses from scratch in these countries where in developing economies where we have many challenges to deal with just in terms of infrastructure and lack of resources, et cetera. But on top of that, they're having to deal with some, some sexism or being in a macho culture. So for, to any woman entrepreneur, I would ask that they make sure they have all the pieces of the puzzle aligned. So what I mean by all the pieces of the puzzle aligned is like everything they need to make the business fun. Um, is it the knowledge? Is it the money, the fund, the resources? They don't need to have all the knowledge. Like in my case, when I started the chocolate company, I had no idea what chocolate, how chocolate was made. I've, although I'm from a, a, a tropical country, I had never seen an actual cacao tree, let alone to see the fruit inside of it, which yeah. means that I, there's a lot of gap in my knowledge, but I was willing to pay for it, and I hired um, some of the best consultants in chocolate. One of them is Chloe Dutre-Rousset. She used to be the head of chocolate for the um, for La Durée, the macaron company, and okay. also Maria Fernanda Di Giocobati. She won the prix the equivalent to the Nobel Prize of Gastronomy, the Prix Basque de la Gastronomie, 
mm-hmm. the, um, which is about 100,000 euros. And she came to Haiti to train my team on chocolate making, on bonbon making, on, wow. on, on t- chocolate making technique. So which means that although I didn't have the skills, but I made sure that I hired the best who could help me fill these gaps. Right. And I think that's wonderful advice. So what you're saying is yeah. there's going to be a lot of challenges, but it sounds like you're saying they need to reach out for help. Yeah, reach out for help and also make sure they have everything they need. So uh, if you take a business like my chocolate business, there's a production aspect, there's a marketing aspect, there's a sales aspect, there's the HR aspect. So every piece of the puzzle needs to be to be there and fit because um, if you have a great distribution, a great distribution but no great product, that's going to lead to failure, failure. Similarly, if you have a delicious project, but you're unable to market it or to sell it, that's not going to bring you success. So, as I said, the entrepreneur doesn't have to have all the skill herself, but she needs to be aware of the gap and fill them with trusted and competent resources. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So, Corinne, where can people reach you? What is your website? What are your contact details? Sure. So our website is www.astania.ht. Um, there you can buy some of our chocolate bars. Um, we deliver right now in Haiti, of course, in the U.S. and in France and Canada. Um, if you want to buy for a different location, you can email us at info at ascania.ht. Um, we have delivered some chocolate to Japan, so very close to you. We oh, sent wow. chocolate to Australia and we're starting a partnership with a company in New Zealand. So we ship all around the world right now and we make sure it arrives intact, not melted. Right. Um we're very active on social media. We have a very active IG Instagram page, Ascania Chocolate, and we're also active on Facebook. So we can be reached on social media, on our website, or via email, and we're happy to answer any question any client has. Um, we're also available in stores. There's about 20 outlets in Haiti that carry our chocolate, okay. um, mostly high-end, high-end hotel like Marriott, um, high-end oh, wow. store, premium grocery store, specialty store at the airport also. But also in the U.S., we also have about 20 locations carrying our chocolate from specialty store like the Chocolate House DC, um, the Chocolate Garage in Palo Alto, or the Cheese Lady in in Michigan, in right. Grand Rapids, Michigan. And we're also in cafe like the Cafe Chocolat in Washington, D.C., two blocks from the White House. Um, Cafe Louverture in Brooklyn, um, Grand Champ Chocolate. So we have we have about twenty locations right now in the U.S. and also two locations in Europe so far. Um, Ecosphere in Paris. It's an online website for natural ingredient products. And um, Cacao Crossing in the U.K. in Exeter that carry chocolate made in the Caribbean. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Corinne. It was lovely to speak with you and hear a little bit more about you 
and your venture and what you're doing. And I hope to have you back on the podcast again. And to you, all the lovely rare birds listening in, I hope you learned a little bit from Corinne and you know where to reach her. And please reach out to us if you'd like to um, be connected with her directly. So thank you so much, Corinne. Thank you, Joanne. And thank you for having me on your Secret Bird HQ podcast. Podcast. It was a pleasure having that conversation with you. And thank you to all the listeners. Okay, bye for now.